Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning for Every Day is Earth Day this morning. We are talking with Shana Udvardi, who is with the Union of Concerned Scientists, and she's going to chat with us about NOAA's spring outlook that points to a risky spring, how climate change exacerbates flood risk, and what Congress should do. So you essentially, with the Union of Concerned Scientists, what exactly is it that you do, Shana? Sure. Well, first of all, it's great to be with you all on Earth Day. Uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists is a nonprofit environmental uh, science-based organization, and we're member-driven. And I work on a federal policy that is directed around how to improve um, how we think about climate impacts, and so that we can make sure uh, the federal government has the policies in place to help and prepare communities to the risks that come with a changing climate. What sort of background do you have to make you qualified to do this sort of thing? Uh, that's a great question. Well, I do have a master's of science in uh, ecology, uh, freshwater ecology out of the University of Georgia. However, uh, people in my organization um, span different expertise. So you don't necess necessarily need a science degree. Uh, but my science degree does really help when it comes to how to inform policy, especially at the federal level. So in seeing the latest forecasts and just hearing all the weather we've been having across the country, I mean, we've had our share of lots of snow this winter, two years of droughts here in the Midwest, and then you hear about all the fires in California, now all the flooding. I mean, there's just a, an assortment of all sorts of weather that's been happening, and you've been analyzing this because you are a senior analyst. Correct. That's right. Yes. And tracking, you know, the great work that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration uh, provides for uh, the public and their latest outlook shows that uh, there's a higher risk of flooding. As you mentioned, uh, we're already seeing out in the Sierra Nevada region, also in portions of the Missouri River Basin and then parts of the upper Mississippi River Basin. And in fact, uh, NOAA flagged that uh, there's going to be a heightened risk of major flooding this spring from St. Paul downstream. Well, and you know, we are just off the Mississippi and the Minnesota River. So we've heard talk of some flooding, but you know, we come, we're just coming off two years of severe drought. So how do you explain all this up and down? Sure. Well, unfortunately, this is what uh, we're seeing with climate change. Uh, climate change is causing this trend of sort of wetter, wet conditions and drier, dry conditions. So as you said, um, you know, in the, in the uh, Midwest, you've seen two years of drought, um, and now we're seeing a likelihood of a wetter spring. So it's following this trend of more extremes. And as you said, you know, California, the Sierra Nevada region, they've been in an extreme drought, and now they're in dealing with extreme flooding. So we're seeing these kinds of extremes with climate change, and this is all thanks to the burning of fossil fuels that increases the heat trapping emissions. So what's happening here is that it's kind of, in a sense, pretty basic physics. It's, it's when we think about warmer air can hold more moisture, 
And then um, the warming climate will make extreme precipitation events more frequent compared to what we've seen in the past. Specifically, you know, we've got some great data uh, from the uh, from NOAA again, and in uh, the Upper Mississippi River Basin, we've seen these annual rainfall averages increasing in many regions. But in the Upper Mississippi River Basin, the records are showing that over the last oh, oh, each decade, we're seeing 1.34 inches of rainfall. Of, um, over the past 30 years. So that's quite a bit of, um, of rainfall increase on average. But we're also seeing large amounts of rain being concentrated in high intensity events. Uh, these types of rainfall events are increasing throughout the United States over the last 50 years. And we're, uh, NOAA has shown that the observed changes for the upper Midwest is that these this amount of rain has increased 42% in these types of uh, heavy events. And that's uh, projected to continue with warming climate. Then how do you explain the droughts? You know, people say, well, yeah, we're getting all this rain, but what about all those really dry years we've had? Sure. Well, you know, what's happening is um, we're going to see, as I said, we're going to see these extremes. And so we're also going to see in the upper Midwest uh, more uh, uh, temperatures rising. So hotter conditions that are going to evaporate more water. And um, that's going to, you know, lead to less uh, soil moisture. And um, and so you're going to see these types of cycles throughout throughout the system, as we've seen um, out west. And in the report from NOAA, they talked about that the climate will be putting our critical infrastructure and marginalized communities at risk. Would you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So let me take the marginalized communities first. Um, you know, it's it's what we're seeing is that um, the, a lot of these um, extreme events are becoming more frequent and intense. And there are a lot of folks, especially when it comes to flooding, just do not have the resources to prepare in advance. Some may be working two jobs um, and have family and kids, and they may not even know that they live in a risky area. Some of the issues are uh, dealing with how we do our flood maps, how we disclose flood risk when someone's about to rent a home or buy a home. Um, but then it's just down to the basic resources, right? If you're trying to uh, feed your family day to day, and we know this is becoming harder with the increasing in uh, food prices, uh, you may not either have the time or the resources to do things like um, elevate your home or make sure you have um, your, you know, your property uh, safe from uh, flooding or even have flood insurance. I was going to talk about insurance a little bit because it seems the more we've been getting these extreme cases of either hurricanes or whatever, it seems that insurance companies are less likely to insure certain areas compared to what they may have in the past. We do have a lot of issues with how our flood insurance is structured and the availability of this flood insurance to uh, folks who uh, can't simply afford um, some of the, the rates that are, finally, they're reflecting the risk. This is a good thing, but we also need Congress to act on, for once, establishing an affordability program that can really help consumers, help 
um, homeowners, help renters understand risk, but also have that small little nest egg to be able to, you know, get back on their feet after a flood. And private insurance um, is uh, can be a good thing, but they can also be let the federal government pick up the most risky flood policies. And so they can sort of pick and choose their their policies they, they'd like to take. And so uh, this could be an issue. You talk about affordability programs. What would that look like? How would we get to something like that with the policy as which is you what you work with? Sure. Well, the, the good news is, is that uh, Congress needs to reauthorize the National Flood Insurance Program, NFIP, by the end of September of this year. So that's an opportunity for Congress to uh, authorize and establish an affordability program. We've already got frameworks uh, that Congress can pull from, from FEMA and from other areas. And basically what it could do is do sort of means-assisted uh, flood insurance, so helping people to afford based on their income uh, flood insurance, and then also provide grants and other types of resources to reduce the flood risk of where they're living. So either elevating their home or doing other types of uh, you know flood proofing measures. Now recently the United Nations came out with its climate report, and it indicated that the world is rapidly approaching the catastrophic levels of heating with the international climate goals set to slip out of reach unless immediate and radical action is taken. That's according to that new UN-backed report. What are your thoughts on that as a union of concerned scientists? Sure. Well, it's a really daunting uh, report. Again, it's based on the science, and the science has been clear for decades that uh, about the uh, realities of the climate crisis today. So what it's showing is that the dangers of global warming exceeding 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels is coming closer and closer. Uh, but there's solutions at hand, and uh, but we know that it, we, it's really time to act. It's past time, right? So what we know is that the heat trapping emissions continue to go up due to burning fossil fuels. And we've already warmed the planet 1.1 degrees Celsius. So we are already seeing these extreme costly disasters across this country, across the world. And so today, the choices we make are so important as to what the future is going to look like for our children and other future generations. Well, some would say it's already too late. I mean, that's one of the things I think that people are concerned with. Are we too far down the road to save what's left? Well, the the reality is there are impacts that um, are in place due to, uh, you know, the past emissions. However, um, every step we make and the sooner we make it will make a huge difference to improving everything from, you know, the air quality, the health of people to you know, the types of impacts and the, the um, extremeness of these different impacts. And so, yes, and we have, the good news is, is we have the technology and we have the solutions in hand. We really need policymakers to get on board and we need these artificial barriers that the fossil fuel industry is putting in front of us with the disinformation campaign on climate change. In the news release that, that I got from your organization, it says that we talked about some of the key takeaways from the NOAA report. 
Then it says you guys are laying out what Congress must do to protect people across the United States from the dangers of flooding and climate change. What must Congress do to protect people? What are some of those points? So uh, Congress, as I mentioned, has a chance to reauthorize the National Flood Insurance Program. They need to modernize this program, and this is past due. So this means that we really need the latest science to inform policies. Specifically, I'll just name a few areas that Congress can act on, uh, is improving the flood mapping. Um, the Association of State Floodplain Managers uh, estimates that only one-third of the streams across the nation are mapped. Um, but we need to make sure there's there are resources, that there's funding. So they estimate it might take roughly $1.8 billion to do the this comprehensive work. But they also need to be sure to, uh, to establish an affordability program and fund that program, as I mentioned before. Uh, so the low-income and marginalized uh, communities can have this um, small financial lifeline to help recover. And we also need to be sure that Congress has policies in place to disclose flood risk to homeowners and renters so they understand what their risk is and can make the best decisions on how to prepare. Some communities don't really even know they're at risk. You know, if it's if it's not shown on a flood map or if a realtor doesn't tell the um, owner or, you know, prospective owner, then um, they may not know they're in this risky area. Well, you know, I always thought when you bought a house, at least when we did, there was a disclosure form that you had to disclose those sorts of things. So is that not common everywhere? Or is it just a Minnesota thing? Um, if if the home is backed by a federal mortgage, then uh, it by law, the uh, it should be disclosed, correct. But uh, these are types of laws that should be um, available. Um, I mean, more expanded policies should be available at every state. So it's a state level policy that needs to be enacted. And there ought to be just public records of uh, the type of risk that um, you know every home is it could face when it comes to flooding. So that isn't currently widespread that that's revealed. It's only if there's a federally backed mortgage, correct? Okay, interesting. Okay, I did not realize that. And we were talking about the NOAA's forecast coming up, and you mentioned that we'd likely have a wet spring here, which is welcome news because we have been so short right. of precipitation. Do you know, does it go beyond that? How does the summer look? Well, what what the spring uh, outlook tells us is that um, because of the, um, the uh, snowpack and the likelihood for warmer temperatures into April, that, that that's what's going to lead to this flooding. Um, as far as the summer, there is a, a drought look, outlook, but I haven't um, had a chance to review that. I imagine that um, since the spring outlook goes into May, that the summer will probably look like, you know, uh, wetter soil conditions, waterlogged soil, et cetera. I'm a gardener, so, so I pay attention to these things, and it's, you know, affecting farming, and it's affecting food supply and that sort of thing. And it seems like since it's all over the country, it's bound to uh, impact the economics of our country. What can people, individuals, what can we do? I mean, you're doing, we're talking policy. Can, should we go talk to our Congress people? Should we go to our senators or, or what should we do? Absolutely. So 
But when it comes to the flood insurance program, the uh, two committees are the Senate Banking and the House Financial Services Committee. But going to your Congress, uh, rep Congressman, re your representative is absolutely critical. And it can be simply, you know, telling them about the conditions you're seeing and that you want to see solutions. You can also get into more specific things, you know, about the flood insurance program, about flood risk disclosure, et cetera. But I, I think just educating Congress, you know, your, your representative on the conditions you're seeing and how challenging it is, is, is a good enough a message there. Getting into more details can even be even better and a stronger message. However, hearing from when Congress hears from their constituents, that's the most powerful. That's more powerful almost than me telling them, you know, what I think is needed. So highly recommend that. But you know what? It's all levels of government where we need change. And we need change at the state level and also at the local level. Local level is where, you know, a lot of the land decisions happen. And so this is where the elected officials can make really critical ch um, changes in policy about where people live. And making sure that we're not developing in these risky areas. Yeah, it seems there's a lot that happens at the district soil and water conservation districts that mm -hmm. needs to be looked at. I know I currently work with a lake association and we're working to clean up the, the areas by working with farmers to install natural areas of native plants and things like that. So is that a way that people can maybe make a, a immediate difference in their communities? I love the Soil and Water Conservation Service. Uh, so yes, uh, I think uh, that that's great work there. Uh, and, uh, you know, working with that type of community will just bring, you know, will be even a bigger force, right? Um, you know, if you could speak from that community, um, especially to different elected officials, that comes with a lot of weight, in my opinion, uh, you know, having having that group of community that know the area. It's hard to get everybody to care, though. I mean, it really is. It is. <laughs> so how do you talk to people then to say, why should we care? Well, I think it's some of the things we're actually talking about right now, uh, you know, how it's affecting us, right? Um, you garden, so, um, you know, it's challenging if the uh, soil is eroding or if you're getting such heavy precipitation events, you can't actually put the garden in until uh, months later. Uh, the cost of... Uh, agriculture and putting in some of the uh, cash crops is, is probably going to increase given, you know, the eroding, eroding soils and some of the uh, decreases that are expected to come with uh, the higher temperatures in the lower portion of the basin, uh, higher uh, temperatures. Uh, and so, uh, you know, so it's going to hit sort of where you, you started from a little while ago, people's pockets. And, you know, and having to, you know, some folks are responding back to back to uh, back to back uh, sort of climate uh, crises and climate events. And so these these and where we started from in the beginning, these these extremes, you know, going from drought to flooding and back, it, it's very exhausting, even just mentally, never mind physically, you know, living through this and trying to make a salary. So I think that's where it's if we can get people's attention you know it's bringing it home like how is this really affecting you you know and everybody has leading a different life but at the end of the day you know these types of impacts are affecting how we live 
As a member of the Union of Concerned Scientists, you know, you're obviously talking to me, creating awareness. What else are you doing as a group to get change to happen? You know, at a, at a higher level, one of the things we're doing is, of course, we're advocating and pushing for rapid uh, increase in electrification. So making sure we're getting all the resources and policies uh, we can out to um, get more solar, more wind, uh, reducing uh, heat trapping emissions as fast as possible. But we're also, the other side, uh, the sort of the similar side of the coin is holding holding fossil fuel uh, industry accountable for their disinformation. And so the spreading of false uh, messaging about climate change, which um, we've known has been um, a real threat for the last three decades. Other things that we're doing, uh, you know, that may be more of a concern for, uh, you know, your listeners is we do have a food and environment program. And that's a, a fantastic program that works um, on the policy side, helps to influence the farm bill and make sure that there's funding there for conservation programs. Uh, but we also look at and uh, promote healthy food and how we how we are able to have food that's um, organic and that's healthy for um, all all communities. Just that's just a sampling of some of the things we're doing. You talked about the false messaging. What do you think is the biggest false message that we are hearing? Oh boy, <laughs> that's a great one. Well, you know, some people like to say that uh, there are benefits that are going to come with climate change, and that's uh, that's really hard to swallow uh, because of, you know, a lot of the impacts I've just mentioned. We know uh, that NOAA has tracks the uh, billion-dollar disasters. Those are the disasters that have damages over exceeding $1 billion each. Those are on an increasing trend. For the longest time, they've just kind of discounted the reality and the impacts of climate change. So it's it's been a disservice to, to say the least on, on action. And um, actually the biggest thing I guess I would say is they're funneling tons of money towards supporting elected officials. And these elected officials are using their talking points towards really putting up major barriers on solar, on wind, and making up, really, um, fact, making up stories about the um, impacts of renewable energy that just aren't true. Those are some, some ideas. Shanna, where can people go to find out some facts that you are working with as scientists to know what's what's out there in terms of what is scientifically proven. Excellent. So uh, we have quite a bit on our uh, website. So that's uh, www.ucsusa.org. We have excellent work by federal agencies, interagency effort by the U.S. Global Change Research Program or USGCRP. And then, of course, there's uh, and and let me just say, um, in the USGCRP put out um, in the fourth national climate assessment. And so your listeners could go to specific chapters and their summaries and messaging in those chapters that, that are really helped to bring out the key points. And there's a chapter on the Midwest. Okay. So that, that would be really helpful. And then, of course, going through some of the main talking points in the UN intergovernmental panel on climate change, that's six 
assessment uh, report is kind of where you'll find the more global facts. We have been talking with Shanna Udvardi. She is the Senior Climate Resiliency Policy Analyst with the Union of Concerned Scientists. I want to thank you for your time. Anything you'd like to leave us with today before I let you go? I want to say thank you for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to coming back to the Midwest sometime soon, and happy Earth Day. Thank you. Same to you, and I appreciate your time. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union. With two locations in Mankato since 1934, it pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.